You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an ex-evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. I am Janice Legata, and this is a meeting of the Bad Book Club. We are reading The Bait of Satan by John Bevere, biting into it one chapter at a time. I'll read the opening paragraph and give a few thoughts, and then join one of the members of the Bad Book Club for a discussion. In the end, I'll read the closing paragraph and give some closing thoughts, all with the intention of leaving you free to think your own thoughts about the chapter, the book, and all things really so. Without further ado, let's get into... Chapter 2. Massive Offense. And that many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. That many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Matthew 24, 10-13 In this chapter of Matthew, Jesus is giving the signs of the end of this age. His disciples ask, what will be the sign of your coming? Most agree we are in the season of his return. It is useless to try to pinpoint the actual day of his return. Only the Father knows that. But Jesus said we would know the season, and it is now. Never before have we seen such prophetic fulfillment in the church, in Israel, and in nature. So we can confidently say that we are in the time period Jesus described in Matthew 24. All right, so chapter 2 is coming in hot with the last days. And so I have a question right from the top. How many days are in the last days? John Bevere wrote the first version of this book in 1994, and I just feel like there should be some kind of time limit. And at some point, once you claim something applies to the last days, there should be a clock. There should be a countdown, and whether it's 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, at some point you should have to admit that your thing wasn't actually for the last days. So going into this chapter from the top, I'm already mad about that. And carrying over from chapter one, I'm still looking for definitions. I'm looking for the definition of offense. And now I'm looking for the definition of the last days. So I don't know. He told us what the problem was in chapter one. It seems like he's going to tell us how bad it is in this chapter. Let's find out. Let's get into it with an international bad book club member. I'm Caitlin. I live in New Zealand. I'm trying to speak slower because I've had to mime to Americans in the supermarket before because I usually speak very fast and have a very strong accent. So this is me trying to speak slower. <laughs> no, we can't add subtitles. Um, yeah, I um, probably started deconstructing before lockdown. Had some events on the church and just kind of took some time out, took a year off going to church and then decided to, you know, we'll start going back and then the pandemic hit. So... Which, to be fair, in New Zealand was only like two months of lockdown. And then we were mostly COVID-free up until like two months ago. My island is COVID-free. So, um, I mean, we're still like wearing masks out in public. Like, I'll go out my, as soon as I leave my office door, mask is on, mm-hmm. social distancing, um, all the hand sanitizer. But yeah, there's, it's kind of starting to come back in the North Island. So my brothers are locked down, got lots of friends that are in lockdown, um, just while the vaccine rollout finishes up because we've kind of only got about 80% of the population vaccinated at the moment and that's only <laughs> first dose. Did you say only? Only. Um, only, 80%. <laughs> only 80% have had their first dose because we only started our vaccinations three months ago because we didn't have to because yeah and there's been a lot of flack at the government for not vaccinating earlier but it's also like why should we vaccinate early when we're, we don't have lives at risk? Why would we put ourselves first when other countries are literally dying of this? Like, 
know, it's so stupid to me. But everything is just like you live in an alternate timeline. Yeah. <laughs> As a nation, thinking of other nations. Yeah, it's like we had one death of COVID yesterday, and I cried. Oh wow! One death in the country, and I was like bawling my eyes out. I was just like, this shouldn't be happening. There shouldn't be anyone dying of this. Um, oh my goodness! Um, so there's been like 28 deaths in the country of COVID total. I can't, I can't, I can't even imagine coming, coming straight from unicorn land. Yeah. Caitlin. So yeah, let's get right to it. We are here to talk about the bait of Satan. When did, when did you first become aware of this book? I first became aware of the book when I borrowed it to read it. Uh, I knew of John Bevere. I didn't know of this book in particular. Um, I had some flatmates that were Christians and they loved, um, what's his other book? Um, Driven by Eternity. So I couldn't remember the name of it, so I went to Google it. And when I tried to Google John Bevere, all I got was Lisa Bevere. And I found that hilarious. <laughs> it's just like he just mentioned his Lisa Bevere's spouse. And I'm like, you go, John. <laughs> this is the future left us hopeful. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I found out about it when I read it. I had just finished YWAM at the time, mm-hmm. so that was about 2014. Um, okay. I'd finished YWAM, which was an interesting experience for me. Um, that was probably my real like evangelical experience because New Zealand is not that evangelical. Like, there's a good Christian proportion, but they're just I don't know, they're less crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's also I live in a so I live in a city called Dunedin. It's very, um, it's a university city. So I work at the university. It's um, very educated, um, very left wing. I love it. <laughs> There's two types of left wing. There's your like kind of lower middle class, factory workers, unionized, very, that's your very like traditional left wingers. And then there's your like educated academics left wingers so you're you're left wing no matter which way you go but there's just two very distinct left wing camps that make up the bulk of the city and so the churches in my city don't tend to be as crazy i don't know any anti-vax nut jobs again personally cannot imagine so yeah um coming out of ywam i was still very like passionate wanted to do all the learning but i'd find found it a weird time because i'd had a very passionate church group that was their idea of socializing was having like a worship night and prophesying mm-hmm. over each other. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it was kind of, I don't, like, I don't think it was terribly unhealthy actually looking back at it. Like some of the undercurrents were a little bit, but in the grand scheme of things, I'm like, actually it wasn't that bad. I think the only, like the main unhealthy is when they kind of are like, this is the only way to do things. And if you're not doing it our way, you're wrong, which there was like a little bit of that. And then my YWAM experience, I did the skiing and snowboarding track, which was just this whole bunch of like chilled out dudes. And I'm like, why aren't you guys passionate about Jesus? (laughs) So yeah, you go to YWAM and I'm just like teaching them things. And I was like, this is a weird time. I was older. So I was like 22 when I did YWAM. I wasn't 18. Um, My mum wanted me to find a, go to YWAM. Yes, we arranged marriage. She wanted me to find find a husband met my husband the day after I got back from YWAM, so here we go. Um, I was determined not to find a husband at YWAM. They were all, like, either 18 or European and could not understand my accent, so I was like, mum, this isn't happening. There was some 
weird soul tie things going on because they're like they'd always talk about soul ties and I'm like yeah I've flattered with Christian dudes and we like hang out in each other's bedrooms all the time and nothing ever happens like I'm just not attracted to you I can I can be alone with like an 18 year old guy that I think is my brother like I think of as a brother like I'm not I'm not gonna be that's not gonna be a soul tie what do you want about (laughs) so yeah I got back from YWAM I had nothing to do all summer I read the book I found it, I didn't like it, but I found mm-hmm. it helpful because it had, the one that I had had like a workbook section, I think, and um, mm-hmm. it did actually help me process some unforgiveness. And I've got a really good like bullshit meter, so I can just, I'm some, I don't know how, I can listen to the good stuff and just filter out the bullshit and just ignore mm-hmm. the bullshit and pretend it doesn't exist. So I managed to walk away mostly unscathed. I found a couple of things in the chapter. I was like, oh yeah, I need therapy for that. <laughs> Nothing too bad. <laughs> but I probably didn't get the traumatic chapter either. You must have filtered out a lot in that initial reading. How did you feel about the prospect of reading part of it again? I felt this little anxiety ball in my chest, not going to lie. Um, and I was I was really intrigued. I was like, okay, I can't remember what the book was about, but I do remember reading it. And I was intrigued to go back back with a completely different filter instead of just taking it in and being like oh that's kind of weird but like that's the story okay to yeah I was intrigued to reread it and yeah figure out what I hadn't noticed last time right yeah because I like I'm I'm a reader so I love reading I love books and I was trying to think and I'm like I haven't been able to think of anything any secular book that I feel anxiety about like there are books that I have read and don't like don't care for but yeah the prospect of rereading this book and I'm reading the whole thing what have I done why why is this affecting me like this and I feel that way about a couple of books but they're all Christian books like I just don't feel that way about anything non-Christian which is interesting at first I thought it was his driven by eternity book and I had a lot more anxiety about that one I've never read that one. And I guess I, I never will. Why would I? Why would you? <laughs> Basically, just people going to help not being good enough Christians, I think. There you well, go. You don't need to read it now. Paraphrase. You know it sounds right up his alley. So so what, what chapter did you have and what was it about? I had chapter two and I really struggled to like figure out a summary of what it was about because I was struggling to figure out what he was saying. I was like... I don't know what he's even talking about here. It's like, I just can't make sense of it. I couldn't, uh, it was, what was it called? Uh, it was called Massive Offense. Um, uh-huh. So we're just talking about offense. Um, yeah. And I just, he kind of just blurs the lines between boundaries and offense, to be honest. Oh yeah, it was my, my note was, there's a, I wrote down as I was write, reading it, there's a line between forgiveness and being a doormat, and John is blurring that line in this chapter. Absolutely. And breaking up the book, especially because it is this type of book, I don't think you could do it with fiction. You need context. But like this kind of book, I don't even know how to categorize this book. I guess it would fall under self-help kind of thing, I guess, if you had to put it somewhere. Like I know there are self-help books you can read and every chapter is its own, its own thing. It's like whatever this book is about, you can take this chunk and you don't, yes, it helps to have the whole thing, 
but you don't necessarily have to. You should be able, I should be able to take a piece out of this and it maybe not make complete sense. Obviously, you're not going to get the whole book. You should be able to be like, this chapter was about this. And <laughs> I'm four chapters in so far and I, every, every chapter is a new experience. <laughs> And none of them are great. So taking taking the bit you had, what were your thoughts on, you know, we don't, we don't, I mean, the general premise of the whole book is offense. Yeah. So we've got, yeah, so this unforgiveness, forgiveness kind of piece. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of his use of scripture, Bible verses? It was a lot of Paul and a lot of um, the, the lot, um, like apocalyptic one well i don't think they were written apocalyptically i think they're the um but the new testament ones that have been portrayed as apocalyptic verses mm -hmm. um so it's like in the end times there will be this and so it's a bit of, it's a lot of fear-mongering um to be honest it's been it's been a while since i read my bible yeah. so i was like same, really same. struggling to remember the original context of these verses um so i was like i, I don't know what i can say on this use of scripture because i'm like it just like I feel like they've been taken out of context, but yeah. I probably I'm not gonna go look these verses up they're in context. Same, and I purposely I think I will by the time I get to the end of it at some point. Like I actually want to take each of the verses from like each chapter, and I want to like just give them give them to one of my pastor friends. No context, just like what taking these six verses, what what. Well, what message would you write from this? Like, what is this about? Should any of these be put together? You know, but I was like, I don't feel like it's not fair for a reader to have to go check all these scriptures. Like, I feel like he is scripture bombing and just trying to say, look at it, look at all these references I have and just pulling random lines, random bits and pieces. And I shouldn't have to go and, and check your work. Like, I just shouldn't have to do that. It's like, if you want to use all of this, bro, you have all the page space you want. Use the whole passage. Spend yeah, time with the whole passage. The only kind of Christian author I'm still reading is Richard Raw, and that's what I appreciate about his books is that he does give the context. You know, he cherry picks as all author, Christian authors do because that's how you write a book. You can't include the whole Bible in there and then have another side of it explaining. Um but he does provide the context. Richard Wall provides the context, and I didn't find the context here. It was just random verses pulled, and I was like, is it in context? Is it not in context? I don't know. Right. I would lean towards no, it's probably not, because also how could it be? Like, the more I know about the Bible and just how it was written, and like, these weren't, these weren't written to go together. Like, mm. they weren't backing yeah. each other up. It's like, no, this random person said this random thing at this time. Somebody else random said something. And then we came later and applied, especially in this case, just applied what I wanted to say. And I'm going to pull this little bit, and this sounds like this. Put this here. And then knowing that he primarily is using, like, the King James Version, yeah. like, that's on top of everything. That's just a bad choice. My husband has recently bought a King James Version Bible, and I'm just like, oh, that actually it's been translated and trans re translated and retranslated for thousands of years. And yeah, 
there might be mistakes in this. It's the worst. It's one of the it's earliest. The worst. Like the first version. Nobody wants the 1.0 of anything. So, so that's that's the that's the scripture verses. What do you think of just his his writing in general? It's just not coherent. Like he's talking about his experiences. Um, which is from what I remember of the book. It's him talking about his experiences and his process and unforgiveness, which is like, yeah, good for you, John. I'm really glad that worked for you. And like, it, maybe it could help like some people, but it's done that thing of, um, especially like white cis male, the, I had this experience. It must be the universal experience. Right. Very it much. help everyone when it's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to help everyone at all. So you have... You have this ability to filter out the bad from the good. So what what, what good did you find? Uh, none this time around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the time, I remember it being helpful for me. Um, probably not this chapter, because there was one thing which I remember taking on board, and when I found out, I was like, oh, I remember taking that in, and actually, that's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the bit where he talked about... Um, great expectations and if we have the expectations of people we're setting ourselves up for failure so therefore we should just never expect anything from anyone and Mm. so I lived a lot of my life thinking that if I was hurt it was my fault for having Mm. these expectations and having yeah so I just I had to give everything in a relationship and not have any expectation of receiving anything back because that was the agape love that he talks about right um and when I reread it I was like oh that's where I got that from. That's not good. So I didn't filter out, I didn't filter out that bullshit. Now I'm just like, how about we just have honest conversations, John? How about we just communicate our expectations? How about we just have boundaries? Yeah. So like you said, you know, he, he approaches everything from his perspective and thinking that's very universal. Mm-hmm. And so in the preface, in the preface of this book, he says, the book you hold is quite possibly the most important confrontation with truth you'll encounter in your lifetime. And then towards the end of the preface, it says, you know, this book is not a theory. It is God's word made flesh. What do you think of those statements? <laughs> um, I just think it's the ultimate privileged perspective. Um, that it was life-changing to him and therefore it's going to be life-changing to everyone. Uh, or he felt it was life-changing to him, and therefore it will be life-changing to everyone. And that's like, this was definitely not, like, I read this book. This book did not change my life. It was not the most important truth that I encountered. In some ways it helped me, and in some ways it harmed me. Yeah. And just that idea, like, I, as a writer, I wish I had this kind of... <laughs> What even is this? Confidence. Confidence on steroids, isn't it? But to be like, I wrote this, it is. It's the most important thing. (laughs) It surpasses scripture. It is. I mean, it is, it is God's word made flesh, which thought that was Jesus. But apparently we were waiting for this new revelation. Okay, we don't need to wait for the second coming. We've got this book. We got this. This this is it. It's all you need. Which I'm like, I don't know how you how you write this in when he first wrote 1994. It's like, wow. what does that say about 
all the people that came before with this, on one hand, it's the simple faith, right? Like anybody should be able to do it. But on the other hand, people needed this book, not just, and not just any, like this is the most, one of the most important confrontations, you know, truth you will ever have. So why we were the generation blessed with this, I don't know, but it, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me. I'm like, wow, that is, that's bold. That is bold, JB. That's bold. Churches bought into it. They went for it. Oh, I mean, I, like, and I was like a toddler when the book came out, but I do remember growing up hearing sermons that kind of were based around stuff mentioned in this book. At one point, um, talks about you know the offended people and I remember hearing sermons in church about how oh, always the offended people are always find the other offended people and it's you know yeah people find people in general and then you start talking you're like oh yeah I have that in common too yeah if you trust people you'll start talking and then hey you have similar life experiences right what are the chances it's wild wild how that works but yeah so churches churches bought into it Hook, line, sinker. JB thinks this book is for everyone in the world. Who who is this book actually for? It? Who did he who did who did he write this for? Who does he want to read it? This book, John Bevere wrote this book for John Bevere. But it's it's yeah, it's written to the loyal soldier, isn't it? It's it's written to the keeping everyone in line so that you won't get offended at the toxicity of the church, which I don't, I don't necessarily, I want to believe the best in him. Like I don't, I, even now I'm like, surely you didn't mean that. Surely you just blurred the line on unforgiveness and offense, you know, and well, un, unforgiveness and actual legitimate hurt and pain. Right. Um, and I think in writing this book, by blurring that lines, he took away the space for people to process legitimate pain so who does who does this book actually help i don't know i um like if you i mean i, I listen to like phil drysdale talking about spiral dynamics so i'm like if you're in a certain point of the spiral like it's probably helpful to you like it helped me process some unforgiveness towards some people in my life but it, you know it also different parts of it hurt me and if it was written better and it was just focusing on how to work through unforgiveness and not all of the other bullshit, then, yeah, maybe it could actually be helpful and let it be one of those ones that's still helpful. Um, I was thinking of the book Boundaries, which I think is actually a Christian book. I've never actually read it, but it, um, that was a really popular one in my circles was the Boundaries book. How much more helpful is that one? Yeah. Hmm. I'm pretty sure I read that book. <laughs> I don't feel, I don't feel anything immediate about it. But you, that don't feel, would, you don't feel the, ooh. <laughs> right. But that would be interesting to go, to go and look at again. Because um, I think maybe part of my, my jadedness now is I'm like, can any Christian mm. book be good? <laughs> but maybe it can. Like maybe. that would be, but especially since it was, it was so was popular. Yeah, like that makes me suspicious. Like it must have, there must be some lines in there that like churches churches liked because they, yeah, because if the churches were still allowing it, <laughs> it had to be, yeah. I'm gonna put a question mark by that one because there's got to be something up with that. 
but for for the bait of Satan, which I'm constantly like mulling that title over in my head and trying to make oh, sense a terrible of it. Title. And it just implies that if like especially the forward kind of almost implies that if you have any distance from God and you don't feel that connection in your life, then it's your fault because you've got unforgiveness. Right. Which like no, that's that not it. No. And again, like it's so on one hand it's don't be you are you are going to be offended in the sense that things are going to happen to you, but you cannot be offended in the sense that you feel anything about it. So don't don't feel your feelings. But then I actually wrote the line, unconditional love gives us gives others the right to hurt us. Like that's that's just setting you up for abusive relationships, that absolutely. line. Absolutely. Ooh. No, no. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd highlight that, Jim, because I was like, that's, wow, no, John, no. And it's, I don't know, it's 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 just such a, this book, to me, just has a really dark, dark kind of worldview. Um, and that's a lot of John Bevere's books. I think I've only read two. But. Yeah, that's, I'd say that's enough. <laughs> like, he, and I, I, I... I think I listened to a few of his sermons back in the day as well yeah I've definitely and, heard yes. sermons like I, I couldn't even remember I was like did I actually ever read this book or did I just hear hear of the sermon series and because I've definitely heard him but in reading the book now like uh, he has just this view of what what offense is going to do like what it is going to lead you to and I'm like Ooh. I don't know anybody who's offended who wants revenge I'm like that's that's not, I don't know anybody who is like speaking, speaking against the church now. The things that we're asking for, yeah. it's not, it's not harm. <laughs> we're like, stop harming people. Yeah. Be more diverse. You know, stop, be affirming. I mean, yes, I'm like, yeah, yeah, burn it down. Yes, I say that now. But that's only because it's like, no, I, because I don't believe you're going to do anything good. So yeah, I'd rather you not be here. But if you wanted to change, if you wanted to stop hurting people, if you wanted to be a good place, no one is against that. Like it's not, we're not out here trying to destroy things for the sake of destroying things. It's like, no, these are the people who, who loved this, who wanted it to be something better. And we still want it to be something better. And that's, that's what you guys are fighting against. Like you're not... You're not throwing people out of the church because they actually tried to set it on fire. You're asking people to leave because they're asking you to be better. And so, like, just his whole, like I said, just his whole worldview is like, it's just so dark. Like, you, you name all these awful places it's going to leave people. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know anyone that's been there. I mean, I was offended and I left the church for a year that turned into a year and a half because of COVID. Um, yeah, because we tried to have that conversation of, hey, we've been really hurt. And we feel sidelined because of you know certain issues and like those conversations didn't go well and we we're like okay we're just going to take a step back for you know for a year and then we went back because the leadership changed and the change in leadership meant that the new pastors were really open to having those conversations and like the student pastor's husband wears a pride pin on his cap to church every day mainly just to piss off the old people but like he He's also a youth, like one of the youth leaders. So he wants to wear his pride pin to, so that the youth know that he's a safe person. 
um, they have a pastor who's there just to be inclusive because they're actually trying to be inclusive. And in New Zealand, that looks different. That looks like we we sing a lot of our worship songs not in English, um, in the native language. Um, and so there's usually at least one in Te Reo. Um, it'll usually have English subtitles because uh, like not many people – like it's becoming way more popular and way more people in New Zealand are learning it. Um, but, yeah, growing up, my granddad spoke it, and he's Pākehā, he's white. So that was very rare. Mm -hmm. for, uh, he, my granddad was a missionary to the um, Māori people in New Zealand, and he turns out was like a raging liberal. I didn't know this until he passed away. Um, he was he saw the poverty that the Māori were in at the time because it was in the 50s. Mm -hmm and was like, we're the church, we should be doing something about this. So he was like, I'll go, I'll be the person to do this. And he set up the um, like, the kind of connection between the church and the Māori. And the church at the time didn't really help him because why would you help the Māori? Um, and he set up this organisation. At the time, I was always so ashamed to tell people that he was a missionary to the Māori because I was like, oh, white saviour complex, that's just, you know. But that actually wasn't the way he did it. He went in and to train the Māori, like, to like to do it, to do it for themselves, to so that he wasn't coming in and he wasn't coming in to be that person for them. He was going in to, like, help them, give them what they needed to be those people um, and to find out where the need was. And he went there and lived there and spoke the language, which no one did at the time. Um, even back then, and Māori wasn't spoken amongst yeah, today, the language Māori wasn't spoken amongst Māori people. It was out, like becoming outlawed at the time. So it was extremely rare, and I didn't realise just how rare that was. So, yeah. And that's why as much as, yeah, I've definitely deconstructed, there's this like part of me that still wants to be connected to the church and still hold, hold out hope for it, mm -hmm. um, even though I want to burn it down half the time. <laughs> but we need... We need that because I mean, as much as I don't, I don't want the church for myself. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think it's necessary for anyone. But people people still want it, so they do need it in that sense. So I want there to be healthy churches. I want it to be healthy for the people that need it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I go and then I sit in the back and talk about astrology with one of my friends. <laughs> it's a little rebellious streak. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So everything is permissible. Not everything is beneficial. Cool. If you had to rate this book on a scale from one harmful for everyone to 10 beneficial for everyone, where would you put this book? That is my favorite Bible verse. Um, I rated it a two. Cause I couldn't say that it was harmful for everyone because there might be one or two people out there, but it's, yeah. yeah. After a reread, I was like, yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. There's some unhealthy stuff in there. It's a lot, a lot of unhealthy things. And so, I mean, this was important to John Bevere, most important book you'll ever read, blah, blah, blah. Fate of Satan, offense. If you could choose an issue and you could go on the world tour, make every church confront this issue, what would you name as the bait of Satan? Misinformation. <laughs> I work at a university, guys. Just do your like when you say do your research, learn how to do some critical 
research, please. Yeah. 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 And that, that makes so much sense to me. Like, even, like I said, trying to figure out this title, I'm like, you would think it would be something, date is something you want and something that's attractive. And I'm like, yes, mm -hmm. misinformation fits that. And confronting that would do so much good. Oh, I wish we could just tr teach critical thinking in schools. Can there just be a, like a critical teaching curriculum that starts you off small when you're, it's the same primary school, but American elementary. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, over time develop those skills and teach you how to have critical thinking and look at things objectively. Man, I work at a university. This is definitely very telling. Um, <laughs> but it's such an important skill to have in this modern age just to actually, yeah, not taking everything at face value, which I'm definitely guilty of occasionally. Yeah, I get okay. lazy and I read the headline. Yeah. But, like, we need we need to be able to learn which sources, like, not just which sources you can trust, but actually how to go back and look at the data and how it was done. Yeah. All right, so you would not... I assume not recommend this book to anyone. I, I can't think of a single human I would recommend this book to. Fair enough. <laughs> so what is something that you would recommend? So people do not, do not read The Bait of Satan. Instead, spend some time with... See, I would be intrigued to read the Boundaries book again. Like, if, it, if it's that kind of audience, like, I'm intrigued to read that and... Would that be something I'd recommend to, to those people instead? Mm. Like, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everyone. Right. I feel like I've seen non-Christians reading it too. I don't know. Well, we'll put a pin in that. Yeah, question mark. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to kind of relook at that too. But what is something you today legitimately enjoy and want people to say, hey, check this out? I just love the self-help section of Instagram. <laughs> because it's approachable um, mm -hmm. it's like there's some good research in there and it's probably not perfect because I think we're always learning and growing mm -hmm. um, and we're probably going to get to a stage in 50 to 100 years where, like yeah actually those mindsets we had were actually pretty harmful um, but I think that it's doing the best we can and in closing we must come to the place where we trust God and not flesh. Many give lip service to God as their source, yet they live as orphans. They take their own lives in their hands while they confess with their mouths, He is my Lord and God. By now you see how serious the sin of offense is. If it is not dealt with, offense will eventually lead to death. But when you resist the temptation to be offended, God brings great victory. So this chapter is awful, truly awful, and I don't even know where to start. So let's look at it by the numbers. This chapter is nine pages long. It contains 16 scripture references and 23 uses of the word offense or offended, still with zero definition. He uses the word, you know, very generally and free from context for the most part. But there is one instance where he accidentally leaves room for a definition. So we'll get to that. But his big idea in this chapter is that offense causes people to close themselves off. So he's doing a lot of work, wasting a lot of words on trying to convince the reader that self-preservation will lead to sin. And he's trying to convince us all to live open no matter what. And you know what? There are conversations to be had about that, about being open to people and 
and to things and to the possibility of being hurt, but this is not the time for that and this is not a healthy approach. John Bevere's view of relationship bums me out. John Bevere bums me out. He makes me sad. Um, on the list of words with, oh, is that right, definitions, he, he adds a few new ones. He references a use of the word love in that passage from Matthew 24 and he explains that the Greek word is agape, which he defines as the love God sheds abroad in the hearts of his children. Which, girl, I guess, what, what does that mean? Don't define a Greek word if you're speaking a different kind of Greek, JB. He says that agape is different from phileo love, which is a love found among friends. It is an affectionate love that is conditional. Phileo says, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, or you treat me kindly and I'll do the same. And this is why John Bevere makes me sad, because that's not real friendship. That's not how I love my friends. That's not how they love me. And I'm not convinced that's the real definition of phileo. But if it is, that still doesn't tell me what agape is. Because honestly, the love of the God JB seems to be talking about most of the time seems very conditional, very sometimey to me. And then it gets worse. A couple pages later, JB drops this banger. If we don't risk being hurt, we cannot give unconditional love. Unconditional love gives others the right to hurt us. The right to hurt us? The right, that is awful. That is abusive and it is wrong. It's not true. Unconditional love might give others the opportunity to hurt us, but nobody has the right. Nobody has the right to hurt you. And even John Bevere doesn't believe that shit because if he did, he wouldn't have written this book. Because if other people have the right to hurt me, I should certainly have the right to hurt myself. And so if being offended is something that would harm me, who cares? But because the premise of this book is so bad, so ridiculous, so nonsensical, he can't help but trip and fall into these stupid plot holes where he gets so close to saying something true, but then has to throw a ridiculous wrench in to make it work for his shit thesis. He has a whole passage where he talks about false prophets and how they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves always go after the wounded and young sheep, not the healthy strong ones. These wolves will tell people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And if that's true, if that is what is happening in the church, my question is, where is the shepherd? In this scenario, it is not the job of the sheep to protect themselves from wolves. So he wants people to be open to being hurt at all times, but somehow also beware of wolves, but then not really because in one of his funniest passages, he talks about walls. Walls of protection. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Proverbs 18:19. An offended brother or sister is harder to win than a fortified city. The strong cities had walls around them. These walls were the city's assurance of protection. They kept unwelcome inhabitants and invaders out. All entrants were screened. Those who owed taxes were not allowed in until they had paid. Those considered a threat to the city's health or safety were kept out. We construct walls when we are hurt to safeguard our hearts and prevent any future wounds. And this is hilarious to me because I have done no research, so maybe it happened and I just never heard about it, but I have a hard time picturing John Bevere at a No More Walls rally fighting for open borders. I'd be really interested to hear his take on walls and at what point we draw the lines because if everybody individually is supposed to be living this wide open, wouldn't that trickle up or down or whichever way to our worldview? But again, he gets so close and then he just goes rogue. But like I mentioned before, there is one place in this chapter where he slips up and leaves room for a definition. 
We set ourselves up for offense when we require certain behaviors from those with whom we have relationships. The more we expect, the greater the potential offense. If I expect something from you and you don't come through and I feel something about that, is it offense or is it disappointment? I'd call that disappointment. And if disappointment is offense and offense is sin, then God is mean and hypocritical. Because what is the whole story of salvation except God being disappointed with humanity, being offended by humanity? And if John Bevere's hypothesis is correct, and God has his panties in such a bunch about offense, there's no hope. Because God himself is guilty of sin, and he's a petty tyrant who has given us an impossible task. So, yeah, this book is a mess. So that's chapter two. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bad Book Club. I certainly hope you had a better time listening to this than I did reading this disappointment and an offense of a book. So hit the show notes to check out the links to some better things. And if you want to talk back, feel free to hit the comment section on Instagram. And that's it for now. I'm Janice Legata. This has been an episode of Bad Words. But here are some good ones. From the Universal Christ by Richard Rohr. Have you ever noticed that the expression, the light of the world, is used to describe the Christ, but that Jesus also applies the same phrase to us? You are the light of the world. Few preachers ever pointed that out to me. Apparently, light is less something you see directly and more something by which you see all other things. In other words, we have faith in Christ so we can have the faith of Christ. That is the goal. Christ and Jesus seem quite happy to serve as conduits rather than provable conclusions. If the latter was the case, the incarnation would have happened after the invention of the camera and the video recorder. We need to look at Jesus until we can look at the world with his kind of eyes. The world no longer trusts Christians who love Jesus, but do not seem to love anything else. In Jesus Christ, God's own broad, deep, and all-inclusive worldview is made available to us. That might just be the whole point of the Gospels. You have to trust the messenger before you can trust the message. And that seems to be the Jesus Christ strategy. Too often we have substituted the messenger for the message. As a result, we spend a great deal of time worshiping the messenger and trying to get other people to do the same. Too often this obsession becomes a pious substitute for actually following what he taught. And he did ask us several times to follow him and never once to worship him.